Okay, we're turning the page. In Route 66, we've been working through the Bible, and we're moving on from the subject of uh, the historical exile of Israel to the topic of the prophets. And in order to do this, we need to go to school for like three minutes. So it's going to get... I'm gonna, we're going to nerd out a little bit. It'll only be about three minutes, and then we'll, we'll be back into normal land. In your Bible, you have uh, what amounts to 16 books that are attributed to the prophets, and here's a list of them. Those are the books that in your Bible we call either the major or the minor prophets. All right? Now, the Christian Old Testament and the Jewish Bible have exactly the same books. Exactly the same books, but we don't think about the books the same way. So in the Hebrew Bible, uh, they count they account for their prophets a little bit differently. They have the first three, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Uh, you can go to the next slide. They don't consider Daniel to be a prophet. Okay, they consider that more of a book of history. Daniel is more like an oracle and not a prophet. And then the other minor prophets, and there's 12 of them, they wrap into one book that they call the Book of the Twelve. So you might say that where we have 16, they have four. Um, except that they have other books that they call prophets that we don't. So Joshua, Judges, the Samuels, and the Kings, to the Hebrews, are books of the prophets. So they have eight books or you might say 19, whereas we have 16. Um, and the reason that, one of the reasons, there's several reasons why Joshua through Kings is considered prophets. It's be, one of the reasons is it's because in those stories, we start to see the prophets arising. So we don't have a book of Elijah. Elijah's in Kings. We don't have a book of Elisha. We don't have a book of Nathan. These prophets start to show up all throughout these books. And the judges, in many ways, have a prophetic role. Samuel's a judge, and he's a prophet. So that's one of the reasons of the prophets. Okay, a little bit of timeline now. So what I'm going to show you is a timeline of, of Old Testament history. I, can you see that okay? Okay. Um, it's not entirely accurate. So those of you who really know your Bible history are dinging me points but this is how I remember because I like to round things off. So if you, you're not great at timelines, round it off like I did, and every 500 years something really important happens. Okay, now plus, it's plus or minus. I'm intentionally being wrong to be almost right, okay? So this is roughly your Old Testament history from Abraham to uh, the, the birth of our Lord. And this is how the books of the Bible sort of lay out on top of it. So you have this section... You have this section of uh, Torah, which accounts from Genesis all the way through Moses and, and coming into the land. Then we have a section of conquest, that's Joshua, Judges, Ruth, that period. And then we enter into the period of the kings, and then the exile and the return. And then we have this period of biblical silence. Now, historically, it was very loud, okay? And there was lots of things being written, but there was nothing that was written that the Jews held up to be Scripture, there's a 400-year pause in the revelation of God between uh, after the return all the way up to sort of uh, the prophetic energy that starts to surface at the birth of our Lord. And if you look here, you say, well, where do the prophets fit then? And it's because the prophets aren't their own 
chapter, they overlay the period of the kings, the exile, and the return. So while the kings are happening and during the exile, the prophets are threaded into that history and they're speaking. You might say this, um, that the point of the prophets or one of the things the prophets are doing during this period of time is they're shouting out the words of God. They're warning the people. Like, so the kings are in decline, they're in decline, and the prophets are the words of God shouting to the people, you're going the wrong way. Turn around. That's the ministry of the prophets. In the moment, so we're done with the academics. Now we're, now we're back to normal. In the moment, very few people heeded the words of the prophets because they preferred the dark. The prophets offer light and life, but the people preferred the dark. So in the moment, the prophets are rarely ever heeded. It's in retrospect when people's lives have been destroyed and the judgment of God has come, it's in retrospect that they return to the prophets and they go, oh my gosh, he was right. So the prophets speak, almost nobody listens, but their words are held and their words are recorded and written down. And then years later, in the confusion of the disaster and the mess that life has been made, they look back on the prophets and they go, he was right. And so the prophets often, you might even say mostly, aid God's people in retrospect because we tend to be very poor, have very poor eyesight and very poor hearing. If I think about parenting this way, you know, there's times in my life that I've, uh, as, a, as a son, that I received advice, wise counsel from my parents. And I can think of particular occasions the, one, the times that I listened are fewer than the times I didn't, at least in my memory. I think we, many of us can be familiar with parents offering wise counsel about the life in front of us, us not taking that counsel, and then in retrospect, coming to the realization they were right. And it's in those moments... It, the goal in those moments is not that we just go, huh, they were right. Those are moments to where we are invited to increase our faith and trust in the voices of wisdom. Like, to simply say hindsight's twenty twenty is not enough. God wants us to improve our eyesight. That's the role of the prophets. And what we're going to do today, we're going to take six weeks to sort of uh, disassemble and reassemble the prophets, but what we're going to do today is we're going to do one, what I think is, really fun case study. Uh, we're going to grab a prophet, an obscure one. We're going to kind of follow him all the way through because he ends up, he represents this guy and we don't even know his name. We'll never know. Well, one day I'll know his name. But we don't know his name. But he, in a way, is a classic example of a prophet. So it's a great primer into what are the prophets. So if you don't mind, turn to 1 Kings chapter 13. That's where we'll find this man. This prophet is being called at a time in history where the kingdom of God has been divided, right? Solomon ended very poorly and his judgment over the 
house of David and the kingdom of Solomon, the Lord said, I'm tearing away from the line of David 10 of the 12 tribes. David's going to keep Judah and another one. But these other 10 tribes are going to be torn away and placed under the kingship of a man named Jeroboam. And that's going to end up becoming a northern kingdom or the kingdom of Israel. And the Lord's going to go to Jeroboam and say, hey, I'm installing you as king. If you continue following me, it's, it'll go well with you. Okay, so the Lord is on Jeroboam's side like he was on Saul's side and David's side and Solomon's side. Uh, but Jeroboam does some quick math in his own mind. And he says this to himself. He says, if, my, if and when my people, when the holy season comes and my people get up from my kingdom and travel back to the southern kingdom to go to the temple of God and worship God there, how long am I really going to be king? Like, he feels threatened by the notion that all of God's people in his northern kingdom, every year, a couple times a year, are going to travel down south where the real God is. So he ends up building a counterfeit kingdom, a counterfeit religion, excuse me. He has his own temples, God is the same God in his mind. That's what he says. He has his own temples. He has his own priesthood. He has his own rituals. He sets up a calf to represent the Lord. Okay, so in his mind, he'd say, hey, this is, this, this is God. This is the religion of Yahweh. He would say that, but really it's a knockoff. It's a total knockoff and a counterfeit. And it's his way of ensuring that his people don't go south for Christmas. Okay, keep them close. Now, this may sound bizarre to you, or like historically odd, but this is almost precisely what King Henry VIII did when he wanted to get a divorce. I just want to tell you, it's, it's our history too. Right? Henry VIII can't have a son, wants a divorce. The Roman Catholic Church says, we're not giving you a divorce just because your wife won't bear a son. So what does he do? He sets up the Church of England. Who does he make the head of the Church of England? Himself. They got the same prayer book, They use the same churches. They burn the same candles. They sing the same songs. It's a knockoff. Except that now he can get a divorce. Lots of them, in fact. Okay? He he wraps religion around his kingdom. And in that way, he can do what he wants to do. So this this tendency is not so ancient. It's it's probably in each, each one of us. Everything that is is in our bloodstream. So it's... Have that in mind. Okay, I'll get to reading here. This is going to be 1 Kings 13. I'm going to read 1 through 6. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man of God cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, A son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, he cried against which he cried against the altar at Bethel. Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar 
according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, entreat now the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. All right, it's kind of a fun story. There's a few things I want us to see in this story that are just classic prophet tells. This is like, what is the cookie cutter of a prophet? This story kind of has each of the different elements here. The first is, the prophet is someone sent by the Lord to warn God's people, right? This, the man of God brings a warning to the people of God. And he's sent by the Lord. And he shouts this warning towards the altar. Someone this week said, why shout it towards the altar? That sounds bizarre. Why not shout it towards like Jeroboam? Okay. I think there's several reasons for this. One, prophets come in order to beckon repentance from the people. So the judgment is being cast on the altar so as to afford the people a chance to repent. That's one way of thinking about it. The second way to think about it is the sin of Jeroboam is much greater than Jeroboam. Jeroboam's, Jeroboam is going to die and his sin is going to remain. The real sin and the problem that the Lord is really angled on is the practice of religious adaptation around the affairs of people. That's what God is really concerned about here is when we who are beneath the Lord take his religion, to take religion and put us beneath us to accommodate our life. That's what happens. The King Jeroboam is beneath God, but he takes the faith of God and puts it beneath him. And that's what, that's what the Lord's pointing out here. These knockoff religions, and there are so many of them uh, throughout history, they just think, maybe even take time this week to think how much a knockoff version of Christianity confuses people about our Lord. It, it has the fruit of making people think they know what we are talking about when they don't know anything about the person who has saved us. And it diffuses the labor of the kingdom of God so that the kingdom of God is spent, much of the kingdom of God is spent ministering to its own people, fixing the problems inside the house rather than proclaiming the one true God to the world. That's what, that's what the man of God is dealing with here. That's what God's concerned about. But we see this, the first sort of element of a prophet is that God sends prophets to warn the people. Here's the second one that we see is the judgment is pronounced. He cries out and he says, hey, this is going to be a sign. And the way judgment is pronounced, and this is so classic, the prophet is going to declare judgment in a short-term way and in a long-term way. So he's going to say, the Lord is going to send a king. There's going to be one born in the house of David named Josiah, and he's going to come and he's going to offer the, the lives of the priests Jeroboam, he's going to sacrifice the priests on this altar and he's going to burn their bones on this altar. Okay, now that, that prophecy is a large judgment that's down the road. But he says, and this is going to be a sign that you know it's going to happen. 
is this altar is going to crack in two and the ashes are going to be poured out. And that happens right in front of the king. So you have this, this big idea that's coming, okay? And it's accompanied by this smaller version of the same that validates and empowers the words of the prophet. This is, you might say, this is classic prophet. A small word now so that you might believe that the big one's coming. He's enough now that you might heed what's really happening. And we see this with the day of the Lord. This phrase in the prophets, the day of the Lord, it's echoed all through the prophets. There's this day of the Lord coming, this day of judgment where the presence of God is with his people, which for some is glorious and for others is terrifying. And when God finally resides with man, the day of the Lord everything will be set right or everything will be put out. And you have this moment where there's these little days of the Lord. Assyria is gonna come, that's gonna be the day of the Lord. Babylon's gonna come, that's gonna be the day of the Lord. Jerusalem's gonna be destroyed, that's gonna be the day of the Lord. These little things that happen kind of in the near history of Israel where they say, the prophet was right. And the point of that is that you would then say, well, then I bet you he's right about what's coming. I bet you the cosmic day of the Lord is as the prophets say it is. Right? If God can crack this stone altar, well, then maybe he's telling the truth about what he's going to do under the reign of Josiah. That's the second thing we see. The prophet comes to warn and the prophet pronounces judgment in a way that is near term and long term. Here's the third thing we see. We see this exhibition of power or you might even think about it as this, this powerlessness of the king. So, this man of God comes into the presence of the king, pronounces this thing, and what does the king do? The king points at him and says, seize this man, right? As though the king is still in charge. And right there, you see the power of God, right? The power of God kind of grabs his hand and makes it wither, hold, locks it in place, petrifies it. I'm not exactly sure what happens, but there's this sense of, uh, in the moment, it becomes clear that Jeroboam is not the king of the prophet. God is the king of the prophet. In fact, when God's man is in the room, the king is no king at all. That's this, this picture here is that this, the prophet is God's emissary. He's an ambassador of the Lord. And as it relates to sort of in the line of duty, Often, God protects his prophets. Now, I don't want to say that the prophets then walk around with impunity as though there are these uh, invincible people and they can do whatever they want. And in fact, it's almost the opposite is the case. But when they are doing the Lord's work, they have no other king. It is, uh, you know, we, we talk about in our constitutional framework this separation of powers this picture actually is, 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 I don't want to say our constitutional framework is highly biblical. It reflects a highly biblical reality in which 
The prophet is not beneath the king, and nor is the priest. This, they minister to the king so that the king can survive in righteousness. That's the picture here. And the power of God gives credence to the words of the prophet. Okay, let's read a little bit more. The, the story's gonna take an interesting twist here. You're probably not gonna like it. And, and I'll just say, but it ends pretty well. So uh, it goes down well, just, just keep chewing. Let me pick up in verse seven and I'll read through 17. And the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. Let me, let me just stop there. What do you think Jeroboam's doing there? I think he's saying to himself, man, we could really use a guy like this in our tribe. A guy who can crack altars. Like, how do we draft him on our team? You know, it just shows you, Jeroboam never understands it's God and not the man. We are so man-centric. God does this powerful thing and he says, hey, I need that guy. Okay, that's what kind of happens here in verse seven. Listen to what the man of God says, verse eight. And the man of God said to the king, if you give me half your house, I will not go in with you and I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. So, Far, far so was it commanded to me by the word of the Lord saying, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. Now listen here. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel and his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? And his sons showed him the way that the man of God came from Judah and had gone. And he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. <clears throat> so they saddled the donkey for him and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way that you came. Now we're gonna stop there. It's about to, I'm twi it's twisting and it's about to snap, all right? So you have Jeroboam who sort of reasons to himself, like how much money can we use to get this powerful man of God on our side? You know, man, if he can do this to me, imagine what I could do with my enemies. Something like that. And the man of God, it, you might say the directions that the man of God received from the Lord are something like this. I want you to say what I've given you to say, and then I need you to immediately leave. Don't look back. The impression I get and what's valuable to appreciate about the prophets is they speak the words of God, but they are still just people. I think God appreciates this here about this man. He's still just a man. I want you to say my words and I want you to get out of Dodge because you're just a man. Okay, I think that's what's behind this. And 
there's this history. If you read the Old Testament, there's this, this just painful history of false prophets that surround kings. Four higher prophets who surround kings and say whatever they want to hear. It's, it's a plague in the kingdom of people, of people whose hearts and mouths and ears can be bought at a price. And I wonder here if the Lord simply knows, hey, I'm using this man of God. I'm using him to say something, but I'm getting him away because he's just a man. He probably has a price tag too. Okay? That might be, I think, what's happening here. And I want us to appreciate this, that the, the role of the prophet tends to be an isolating call. In the stories of God, the prophets are not the most popular people. Just the opposite. They tend to be, they are almost always hated and they are often hunted and they are never heeded. People don't listen to what they say. They hate hearing what they say and sometimes they try to stu- like snuff it out. Elijah had to hide. I mean, there's many prophets that were hidden in caves and were murdered and killed. I mean, there's this, the, the role of prophet is an isolating call. And sometimes the Lord hides his prophets away because I think they speak the words of God, but at the end of the day, they're just men. Think about it yourself. Did you ever, did you ever have a friendship, a friend where you had to say something really hard? Maybe this happened to you where you had to muster up the best, uh, the best, bravest side of your friendship to say some difficult thing to a friend. It was risky, right? And, and I think if, whether you can remember this, if you, whether you experienced it, you can imagine it, of moments where doing that really brave, deeply loving thing cost you your friendship. Like you said it, it was not heated, and you were hated. Like you were, I'm not on social media, you were unfriended, right? Something like that. That's the prophets. That's the ministry of the prophets. This is a passage from Hebrews 11. The overall passage is on the faith of God's people. And the writer, uh, it turns his attention to the prophets and he's talking about through their faith some of the powerful things that God does, but then he talks about their suffering. He says, others, speaking of the prophets, suffered mockings and floggings, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in the skins of sheep, goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in the deserts and mountains, in the dens of the caves of the earth. That's the story of the prophets. They say what we don't want to hear so that we can avoid the fate that God does not want you to have. And in return, they're hated and often hunted. Okay. Let's keep twisting here. Look, verse 18. And he said to him, and the he here is the old prophet of Samaria. And he said to him, I am also a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, singing, bring him back into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. 
So we went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of of God who came from Judah. Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten the bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the, don- the body. And behold, men passed and saw the body thrown in the road and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in their city where the old prophet lived. Now, let's just stop here. You gotta uh, appreciate the picture. The lion kills the man, okay? This is how you know it's judgment. This is how God tells everybody else. This is judgment. The lion kills the man, but doesn't eat the man. He just sits by the man. And the donkey sits by the lion. So in case you're like, it's a rabid lion. It's not a rabid lion. The donkey's hanging out with the lion. It's judgment. Everybody should be able to know this is judgment. So the old man lies. Oh, Listen, it's, it's interesting to see how this old prophet from Samaria, he doesn't even, he's lost connection with who's really in charge here, okay? So God told the man, go straight home. He, he lies and says, oh God, God told me something better. He said, you need to come to my house for dinner, okay? The man of God takes the word of the man over the word of God, Okay? Then the old prophet, what a twist, then the old prophet at dinner gets used by God to pronounce judgment on the man of God. And then the man of God is judged. Here's the last maybe element, classic element of the prophets, right? They were sent to warn. They pronounced judgment often near and far. There's a power around them as they minister They have isolated ministries because the words they say are hated and sometimes they're hunted. And here's the fifth one, is the prophet's life is forfeit to the Lord. It belongs to God. It is the ownership of God. And sometimes, to stray a little bit, the Lord says, the moment you're not useful, you're you're causing harm. Let me read how this story ends. We're almost almost done here. Here's verse 31 and 32. This is long after the man's dead. This is what it says. And after he had buried him, the, the old prophet asks for the body and buries him. It says, and after he had buried him, he said to his sons, when I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. Do you see how the Lord, in taking the, the, the man of God's life, buttresses up the prophecy? It's, in hindsight now, this old prophet in Samaria is, is brought to the realization, this is really gonna happen. In retrospect, he sees it. This is how it often takes the place. And I'd like to say this is the end of, I don't want to say it's the end of the story. It's actually not the end of the story. The end of the story takes place actually 300 years later in 2 Kings. And I'll, 
I'll read, I'll read this passage, you don't need to turn, but 300 years later, 2 Kings records the birth of a king out of the house of David named Josiah, who's a godly king and institutes great reform in the kingdom of God and purges a lot of the idolatry in, the kingdom of, in his kingdom. And even so, he even crosses the border into where the northern king used to, kingdom used to be and he goes all the way to Bethel and listen to this. Listen to what Josiah does. Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw tombs there on the mount. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed, whom he had predicted these things. Then he said, what is that monument I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted that these things that you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him be. Let no man move his bones. So that his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. That's how the story ends. He was right. This is the role of the prophets. Rarely do people hear them on the first round. Rarely do they hear them on the first round. But retrospectively, we say, oh my gosh, he was right. We started this morning with, come thou long expected Jesus. No one saw him coming. But we sit back and we say, he was right. The prophets were right. Jesus himself, right? This man of God with no name is a small version of the greatest prophet who will ever come, which is Jesus Christ. I mean, this man is a, Jesus is a bigger version of this man. Jesus Jesus came like this man to pronounce warning and caution to the people of God. Jesus came like this man saying near things would happen and far things would happen. There's a day of the Lord coming when my life will be lifted up and there's a day of the Lord coming when all lives will be lifted up. Jesus, just like this man, preached in power. Jesus, just like this man, was isolated, hated, and hunted. No one heeded the words of Jesus until retrospectively. It's even ironic that in this story, it speaks of one coming who's gonna, who, and the bones of graves are gonna be brought up. Jesus was isolated like this man. Jesus' life was forfeit like this man. And we celebrate this. We celebrate the fact that the prophets were right. I want to, as we close in prayer, I want to I just say this. I want to I say, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, I want to ask this year that you put next to it just enough humility to say, um, I don't, I don't realize Jesus because I have such good sight. I have hindsight. The question is, is, the prophets talked about a lot of things besides Jesus. Do you hear those? That's the question. Do we have ears to hear the things that the prophets have said that are still alive in us, like justice, faith, uh, pure religion, these sorts of things? There's a lot of things. 
just the fact that we know that Jesus has come for us and has saved us and has done his work for us, we see those things retrospectively. Do you heed what God is saying to you today? Because there's a near truth and there's a far truth. There's a day of the Lord and there's a day of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, like a child who gains respect for their parents when they realize they were right, may, may you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May the incarnation of our Lord, his life, his death, his resurrection, may these serve for us May these give us the sight and the ears, Lord, to say, you were right. You're right about everything. Lord, help us to heed the warnings. Lord, may we live as though the day of the Lord is coming. May we live as though there is salvation and there's judgment. And that the Lord has come to call and save and warn and rescue. Lord, may we be like like the man of God and like the great man of God. May we be emissaries and ambassadors, even if it isolates us, even if it comes at the forfeiture of our life, Lord. May you mark us as faithful. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.